Welcome to the Fan Engagement Podcast by Genius Sports. I'm your host, Megan Kane. We'll chat with leaders from leagues, brands, teams, and broadcasters about different ways to engage fans and grow your organization. Today's guest is Jeff Fernandez from the New York Jets. We'll chat engagement strategy, creating meaningful experiences from data, and the Jets' entry into the UK market. This is the Fan Engagement Podcast. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning, Meg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Where's Where's your studio? Where are you coming at us from? <laughs> uh, Jets headquarters, Forum Park, New Jersey. Awesome, awesome. It's about, uh, about, 20, about 20 miles outside of New York City. You know, the Jets have seen uh, a level of success this season at the time of recording of this podcast uh, that they haven't seen in years past. How do you like craft your fan engagement strategy around when the team's successful versus when it's not successful? Yeah, I think for, you know, for us, it's a, it's a subtle adjustment. We're blessed to be in a market like New York, um, you know, where there's so many passionate uh, fans of all sports teams here. And, and you know, it's pretty much the same in, in, in the Northeast in general. Um, and so the, the highs are, are, are high emotionally and the, and the lows are low emotionally, um, especially on game day. But honestly, the, the fandom, the engagement, um, the heart, it doesn't really change here. Now, I've worked in other markets where truly you live and die by wins and losses. Um, but I think that we're, we're blessed here from, from that perspective. So, look, are there more tailwinds that, that kind of push us forward when we're winning? Absolutely. Um, do we have a few more um, viewers and listeners? Yeah, but the, but the delta between now and, say, two years ago, uh, where we were not fighting for the playoffs in December, um, really, that, that delta really isn't that 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 significant. Um, you know, uh, people will still uh, call into talk radio. People will still have an opinion, um, and I think that that passion that that we're blessed with here really really helps drive us. Yeah, for sure. And I know you mentioned that at other markets that you've worked in, it has been different. So tell me a little bit about those differences in strategy that you had, because you've had a long career working with NFL teams. So if anybody knows this area, it's you. Yeah, thanks. Um, somehow I became the old guy all of a sudden, but I'm uh, 27 years, I guess, in the NFL, and I've worked um, in three distinctly different markets, you know, New York, um, Buffalo, and Miami. And I guess the, you know, the just following up on what I said about New York, look, Buffalo is a market that is as passionate about their football team as anybody in this country. And uh, same thing, win loss, people will show up in the snow and 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 people bleed, you know, blue and red for for the Bills. Um, you know, it was a market that was much smaller and um, truly life uh, revolved around uh, you know around, around Bills football. I would say on game day, there's probably 85 to 90 percent of their uh, of their local community that watches the games. But I think, you know, from an engagement perspective, it's about family and community and togetherness in Buffalo. So a lot of the activations that we did there were really in person, and it was you know it was a while ago that I was there, over 20 years ago. So we didn't have the advent of social media or anything else. Um, 
but just it's, it's a reflection of that market that it was so personal, so community driven that everybody wanted to be in person to do things, um, which is very much different than, than the way things are now. And between those markets and your 27 years in the NFL, I'm sure you've seen a lot of change, especially I'd say in the last five years or so. So how do you change your engagement strategy quickly and remain agile, especially with a following that might not be ready for that quick of a change? Yeah, uh, it's, it's such an interesting question, Megan, because of the history and tradition, as you mentioned, in, in the NFL. And, and, and sometimes things, you know, do have to evolve and change. Um, like the best example is, you know, we went to paperless ticketing like eight or nine years ago now. And for those that don't know, that's basically, you know, if you've collected every ticket stub that you've ever gotten from going to a Jets game or any event and you put it in a scrapbook like I've done, um, all of a sudden in 2014, we just said no more paper tickets. Now, the reason behind it was, um, you know, we, we wanted to be able to provide um, kind of a better um, opportunity for um you know, for fans to to have easier ingress and egress into the stadium, because a pain point is always like getting through the turnstiles right before kickoff. And then more importantly, it was a it was a, an opportunity for us to know our customer that much better. So then we can serve them better. So so we went to um, like a, a digital ticketing program and then created a loyalty overlay of that, a loyalty rewards program that hadn't been done in the NFL at that time eight years ago. Fast forward now, it's required. Uh, the, 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 the paperless ticketing, digital ticketing is required through the Ticketmaster relationship with the NFL, so all clubs have it. But we were out front. And when I tell you, Megan, that you know those phone calls that we made to people to say, um, you're not going to get your paper tickets anymore. It's just going to be on this RFID card that you like tap. People are like, what? what? No, 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 no. So it was hard. We ripped the Band-Aid off. Um, I think we understood it was going to be a little bit of a process, but over the first couple of years, even our, our most, um, you know, our most avid long-term, let's call them old school kind of fans were able to adopt and say, Oh yeah, like tap and enter. That's pretty cool. And by the way, in those first couple of years, people wanted paper tickets still for collectors. So we printed them paper tickets so they could still have it. Um, but that, that example of, you know, there was some resistance, but we had to, in that case, we were ahead of the curve. It's not just reacting. Um, we were ahead of the curve and, uh, and the loyalty program really became something that people embraced. They were able to um, show their fandom. Uh, they earn points for the, their, their length of tenure as a season ticket holder or for attending training camp games or for, you know, um, uh, visiting certain sponsor activations or, or, or buying certain Jets gear. So there, there became like the status thing because everybody's the biggest Jets fan or the biggest Giants fan or the biggest Eagles fan, right? Um, so the, the, the rewards loyalty program allowed people to show that and to, and, and, to, and to wear that as a badge of courage. So some resistance initially, but the information and the data that we've gotten on our fan base um, over the years has been you know, um, immense, immensely ha helpful to us and ultimately to the fans as well. So now you've got all this data on a wide range of fans. You know, you've got your older paper ticket loving fan versus a Gen Z fan that might be coming to a game for the first time. 
How do you create that meaningful one-on-one interaction with each fan to ensure that they have a meaningful experience? Yeah, and and I love I love this topic, and we're not the only ones, right? So it's happening everywhere now. I'd say that we started to embrace it again five six years ago, and we think we're you know we're pretty good um, at it right now. Our business intelligence team um, is amongst the best in, in in all sports, we think. But a lot of clubs, there's a lot of women and men. Um, who are so valuable on the sports side now. These jobs didn't even exist a decade ago, right? Um, so, you know, to answer your question, going back to that digital slash paper ticketing example, we never knew who was in our building. No idea. Like, the only thing you could do is on the way out, you could grab somebody with a clipboard and ask their name and write it down on a piece of paper and take a survey. But now with digital ticketing, we know that if Megan has a ticket and she transfers it to to Russell and Russell transfers it to Tracy, we ultimately know who the person is that's being scanned into the building. Um, then it gives us an opportunity to get more information about that person and ask about their experience. Was the food good or not? Was it too expensive? How was your parking? Like, Then we can get immediate insight and then answer people's concerns and try to fix things. So ultimately that benefit of um, you know fans, we had so many fans saying, gosh, when I leave the stadium, there is so much trash, broken bottles. I drive, I get a flat tire. It's like a pain in the neck, right? So we heard that from a lot of people. And a few years ago, we created this green team that actually goes into the parking lot at halftime. And it's done with, with one of our, our corporate partners and helps kind of clean up that place, you know, the, the parking lot. So people's exits can, can be, you know, <laughs> less traumatic, right? Um, the, 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 the business intelligence stuff um, has, has really allowed us to, as you said, kind of segment our fan base into different types of clusters. Our CRM team has done just a, a remarkable job getting this additional information on consumers um, in a proactive way that allows us to talk to the right person with the right message at the right time. And by the way, deliver it the way that they really uh, prefer. So some of our fans prefer to uh, be communicated via text messaging. Some of them just want to get a phone call. Some of them prefer to see it in our e-newsletter. Um, so we, we've used uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity um, to work with live analytics to get appended user information on every single person in our database. So you know, our database is, is eight figures now. Um, but when I tell you three, four years ago, it was half of that. Like we've done a remarkable job kind of growing that database. Um, and then our active email base is up almost a thousand percent in the last four years. So, so we're now able to grow um, the, 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 the whole pie, all of the, all of the fans in the database. And then this appended information allows us to understand, like, what do you care about most? So we've covered the meaningful relationships in New York. Let's talk about the fans abroad. In 2021, you all named the UK your second home. Let's say you're entering a bit of a crowded market, and unlike the NBA or the NHL, you don't really have the draw of an international player that can bring fans in. How do you jump into that market and generate meaningful interactions with fans? Yeah, it's an excellent observation. As we talked about the NFL being king here, you go into global markets, and yes, they'll watch the Super Bowl, um, 
but NFL football is usually fifth or sixth down the list of a favorite sport after cricket and and foot, real football to you know to to those and and uh, and, and Formula One and other sports and quite honestly the NBA and the NHL as you referenced um, really have a lot of success in international markets. A lot of it's due to the fact that they have players from China and Brazil and Mexico and Germany that are big names in the sport that allow them to, to authentically you know, develop fan bases there. Now, with that said, the NFL is committed to, um, you know, to, to expanding the game, the knowledge of the game and the popularity of the game globally. Um, you know, the World League of American Football 30 years ago uh, was something that had profession, you know, almost like a feeder system. Many people don't know. There was a, almost like a minor league feeder system into the NFL uh, where we had leagues in you know, in Germany and, and in the UK and, and, and in other places. Um, uh, but, it, but it was just, just under two decades ago that we established kind of the, 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 the presence of playing regular football games in the UK. And now that has expanded. We play games in Mexico, Germany this year for the first time, regular season game, Canada we've done, and you're going to see other, you know, other markets, uh, Brazil and, and uh, in Australia eventually and China, you, you'll, you'll see other games in those markets as well. Um, so yeah, when we go in, when we made the decision to try to expand the game of football, the NFL and Jets fandom into a place that was natural for us. Natural because um, there is a connection uh, between the sister cities of London and New York, right? Very, very similar, similar type of makeup demographically, the men and women that, that live there and thrive, their business centers, cultural centers, things like that. So. For us, we thought that um, New York, New York held a certain cachet that would certainly resonate, you know, immediately with with those in the UK. And then we had to be really intentional about how we went about kind of building the the plan. Our plan is long term. Like we're in the UK for for the long haul, um, and we'll we'll likely expand into other markets as well. It's really about trying to build on an existing group of fans that might already have had an affinity to New York um, and or expats that have moved and, and now live there that were fans to begin with. Um, and then to, again, speak to them in their voice. So we do podcasts here for our fans in the U.S. We do separate podcasts run by U.K. and British talent talking about the game of football and New York Jets in their voice. We have content that we create here. Pretty much we, we do um, exclusive custom content um, through a digital hub in the UK. So it's not just replicating stuff here and throwing it over there. Our, our U, uh, Jets in the UK uh, Twitter um, following is, uh, is, is hilarious. They're um, very entertaining. Um, you know, it's really been uh, fun to see how we can operate that kind of social media platform in a completely different narrative than what we do here. Um, so I think it's, it's really been intentional about how we've gone about things. Yes, relationship with Sky Sports and with and with Talk Sport Radio, um, some of our, our corporate partnerships I can talk about there if you want. But um, there's an opportunity. It just doesn't happen overnight. We've done a couple of sweepstakes and some fan building exercises there. Um, and our database is already significant. Like, you know, the, the amount of growth that we've seen uh, just in the 11 months that we've been there has been, you know, has been significant. So it's been fun, 
but it's a long-term thing. It's going to take a long, long time. What are the indicators that you guys kind of look at to see, you know, this is going really well. People are engaging well. The UK likes us. Um, what are those indicators? What does that look like? Yeah, certainly social media growth. And for those that don't know, there are now six NFL teams that have the marketing rights to the UK. Um, there are other teams that have rights, as I mentioned, in Mexico and Germany, Australia, different places. Um, but there are six in the UK. So not only is it, um, you know, the Jets being a challenger brand as far as NFL football not being as popular, but then, you know, the, the typical, you know, Londoner or, or person in Manchester or in Wales, there's five other NFL teams. So they, they've kind of got to pick and choose a look to, to, to some extent. Um, what's unbelievable is that they understand the passion uh, as we see in, as we see in Premier League, it's very territorial. Um, and so our engagements and how we've measured it, uh, digital first strategy. So it was um, establishing this this digital hub that was the, is the center of all the content that we produce, um, all the sweepstakes that we run, everything that we we use very similar in business intelligence to know about our our fans. So the you know the, the growth that we've seen in our social following. Um, in the actual database, let's put it this way, the NFL had a database over the last 20 years that showed, you know, a modest number of Jets fans that they had in their database. In 11 months, we've already exceeded that number that the league had over 20 years in our database now, right? So it's just the methodology of, of again, being very surgical in how we're, we're interacting with people. And by the way, just kudos to the other teams in the market, the 49ers and the, and the Vikings and, and the Jacksonville Jaguars who have been there for a while. They're all doing similar things. Lastly, um, in these markets, it's just important to be um, grounded in kind of community and grassroots. You just, you know, the, the community of, of football that I talk about and the, the tailgating environment and all that stuff, again, people can, can really... Um, connect and understand that in the UK uh, because of the like the the, the following sport for most of these Premier League clubs. It is a it is a a family, and so you know our ability to do grassroots events um, to you know to build programs that are um, you know philanthropic and and helping develop you know, certain communities. That's great. No, thank you, Jeff. And um, yeah, truly, thank you for taking the time to chat with us and give us a little bit of the insight into how the Jets are engaging fans both here and abroad. I feel fortunate to be part of the, the podcast and, and I appreciate you. That wraps up today's episode of the Fan Engagement Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Megan Kane. Until next time.